Hi, and welcome back to Activists of Tech, the Responsible Tech Podcast. How did we go from love me tender to love me tinder? We use algorithms for everything, for online shopping, navigating a new city, finding new hobbies, getting music recommendations, and our love life is not an exception. The use of dating apps that used to still be taboo just a decade ago became incredibly normalized and part of the dating game. But can algorithms really predict who would be your best dating match? Can love be coded and people categorized accurately? And is it ethical? To answer these questions, I had the pleasure to talk with Dr. Liesel Sharabi. She's an associate professor at Arizona State University and director of the Relationships and Technology Lab. Dr. Sharabi studies how communication technologies are used to initiate, maintain, and dissolve interpersonal relationships. She is especially interested in technology's role in modern romance, the role of algorithms and AI in facilitating relationships, and relationships in augmented and virtual reality. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Hi, Dr. Sharabi. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. So what's your story? How did you end up working on relationships and online dating? Yeah, well, I've always been really fascinated by what makes a relationship succeed or fail. And when you look at the divorce rate in this country, it's been declining, but the number that you'll often hear is 50%. So 50% of all marriages end in divorce. It's a bit of a controversial statistic, but suffice it to say that there's a lot of room for improvement in how we choose our partners and how we maintain our relationships. So when I started graduate school, I knew that this is what I was interested in and what I wanted to study. And around that time, online dating also started to get really big. And I had friends who had just graduated from college. They were moving to new cities. They didn't know anybody. And they were using online dating as a way of meeting people and forming relationships. And at the time, some of these sites were using insight from relationship science. They were pulling questionnaires to help in guiding their matching process. And I thought that was just really exciting. The idea that we could take decades of research about relationships and use it as a way of intervening and helping people make better decisions. And now at the time, online dating, it was also still a bit stigmatized. So the question that everyone had is, you know, why would you choose to do this? Why wouldn't you want to meet people offline rather than looking at what people were actually getting out of the experience? But, you know, for me, looking around, this was the late 2000s. We were all already spending so much of our time on social media, conducting our relationships through those platforms that I thought, why not? online dating, you know, this, it just, to me felt like it was going to be the future. And now it's become the single most common way that people are meeting in the U S. And so in a relatively brief amount of time, things have just changed so much. It's true that the future is now. I don't, I don't think I know anyone who does not use dating apps. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's become so common that now the question is more, why wouldn't you, right? Yeah. When you have this good option for expanding the dating pool, it, it's just really become the norm. So we're going to talk about the role of technology in modern romance, which has several definitions in pop culture. How do you define romance? 
I think romance, it's a feeling of passion and enthusiasm for another person. And I think a lot of people tend to equate romance with love, but it doesn't necessarily have to be love. So especially when I think about people who are going online to look for romance, I think that that can mean a lot of different things. So some people really want a long-term monogamous committed relationship. And then other people, you know, they like being single and they want something casual or they want to hook up. And then there are people who want romance, but maybe they're not that interested in meeting somebody offline at all. And they just want someone to talk to. And so a common, I guess, misconception that some people have is that when you go online looking for romance, that you're either looking for love or you're looking for casual sex and there's nothing in between when there can actually be a whole lot of nuance in people's motivations for using these platforms. I mean, goals really do vary. So how does technology and specifically communication technology have impacted the way that we create those relationships with one another? Oh gosh, it's impacted it in so many ways. I mean, one of the big things that it's changed is how we select our partners. So we've always relied on third parties to introduce us to potential mates. And in the past, that really used to happen through our social networks. So maybe a friend would set you up with somebody or you'd go to a party and you would meet somebody that way. But now in online dating, those introductions are really increasingly being made by algorithms. And that's consequential for a lot of reasons. I mean, we're being introduced to people who we potentially don't share any prior connection with. We're being introduced to strangers, people that you know our friends and family might not know, they might not necessarily get along with. And so I think there can be some long-term repercussions of, of the fact that we've kind of cut out our social networks from that process. But if you keep in mind that online dating has become a really common way that people are meeting, then most relationships today are really being facilitated by algorithms. And then once we do find a partner, it's also changing how we go about developing those relationships. So one way it's doing that is that we're basing our judgments of people on information in a profile. On the one hand, that can be really helpful because we have a lot of information, you know, going into meeting them for the first time, but also it's not always the best way of gauging what it's going to be like to interact with somebody. So when you think of what's typically included in a profile, you know, it's, it's basic information, somebody's height, what they do for a living, some of their hobbies. But when you meet someone you know, the things that you're paying attention to are often things like, you know, how do they make me feel? How do they treat the people around them? Are they kind? Are they funny? It's really hard to gauge that using a profile. And then we also have a tendency to really build up expectations based on profile information, based on, you know, texting exchanges that we have with people through these platforms. And we kind of fill in the blanks in what we know. So we can really have like sky high expectations going into our first date with somebody. And it's easy to end up feeling disappointment after that. And so we kind of end up in this cycle of, you know, meeting, finding out that the other person isn't, you know, the perfect human that we envisioned and then ending up back on the apps. I feel extremely called out by <laughs> what you just said. Speaking of algorithms, what's the goal of algorithms and dating apps really? Because, you know, I know they're a business model. They want to have users. So do these algorithms really facilitate relationships? 
Yeah, I mean, the big thing that an algorithm is doing is narrowing down the dating pool. So some of these platforms, they have millions of users. They have to use algorithms as a way to help you really narrow in on what you're looking for. Now, where I think it gets tricky is when platforms claim that they're doing more than just making introductions and that they're introducing you to a compatible partner, somebody who you're going to click with long term. I don't think there's any evidence that they can do that. And in fact, I would argue there's some evidence to the contrary, because if any platform could do that, they'd really have the market cornered. There would be no competition. But some of my work has shown that um, when people believe in this process and they really buy into what algorithms are capable of, that can become a self-fulfilling prophecy where they behave in ways that are likely to set them up for better outcomes. So for example, they disclose more, they share more with potential partners, they feel less uncertain about the people that they're meeting. And so that really positions you well to have good offline interactions with those individuals. So in that sense, I mean, I think algorithms can facilitate relationships. Is that because they work? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, it's also very difficult to say because they're black boxes and they're proprietary. And so we can make inferences about what they're doing, but it's really hard to know exactly how that matching process works. Just one thing that mm -hmm. I, I didn't um, write that question down, but because we're not presented with all the users and it really bothers me personally, because I know that whenever I used to change my description on my profile as on Tinder, I would be presented with someone with common interests. Mm -hmm. But I feel like common interests are not the thing we should be pursuing first, but rather common values, because I feel like common interests actually grow in a relationship with time versus values just they remain kind of the same. Yeah. And I mean, once we get to know people, we can become more similar. Similarity on a lot of different dimensions tends to be attractive to people. We prefer partners who are similar in appearance, similar in background, similar in interests, but also we grow more similar to our partners as we go through the process of getting to know them. And so, I mean, I think that there's definitely something to be said for that. I also think a lot of people um, don't necessarily realize that they aren't seeing the entire pool. You know, we're having this conversation, we're aware of the algorithms that are operating on these platforms. But in some of my research and in, in talking to people, I think with dating apps in particular, if they're not really advertising how they're going about matching people, I think sometimes they they kind of assume that they're seeing everybody in their geographic area, which is not necessarily the case. So I think it's also really important that people are aware that the pool is being narrowed and it is being limited. And, you know, for people to think about how that might be happening and maybe behaviors that they're engaging in that might be contributing to the profiles that they're seeing. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the pool might be smaller, but actually it's uh, something I hear a lot and that I experience myself. The first time you download an app, you go, oh, my God, that's a supermarket. Like there is so many people on there. And that made me realize that unintentionally we tend to enter this quote unquote market of love by objectifying people that we see. So my question is, does the action of swiping on people right or left on app impact the way we value and conceptualize others in dating? Yeah. So the swiping mechanism 
it's really part of the gamification of these apps. And they've gamified the dating experience as a way of keeping people engaged and making it fun to spend a lot of time on these platforms. And the way this works is that similar to swiping on a deck of cards, you're swiping right to accept a profile, you're swiping left to reject it. You win when you make a match with somebody. And I do think that this does something to how we relate to other people in these platforms, because to win at the game that these apps have created, you have to accumulate matches and you have to make snap judgments about people based on sometimes superficial information. And I think it's really easy to get into the habit of just swiping through so many profiles so quickly that you forget that there's a real human being on the other end who's putting themselves out there, who's looking for a connection. And it can kind of feel like we are shopping, right? Like we're shopping for shoes on Amazon and not that we are trying to connect with another person and really get to know them and figure out if they might be the right match for us. Yeah. I don't remember where I read this, but And you tell me if it's true or not. I read that only 7% of people using dating apps end up in a relationship uh, with someone they had met online. So what would be the percentage of couples who have met on dating apps, like thanks to these algorithms of recommendation, and is it consistent across sexual orientations? The statistic that immediately comes to mind for me, it's from a study that was conducted about 10 years ago. So I'm sure there's more recent data but they found that a third of marriages were starting online. And when I say online, that includes a lot of different platforms, not necessarily online dating, but it tells you that people are succeeding in forming relationships. Yet at the same time, I also hear from a lot of people who spend so much time, so much money swiping, and they feel like they just can't find what they're looking for. And so in terms of whether, you know, dating app use is common across sexual orientations, it is, but it's not necessarily consistent. And so online dating, it was really born out of the LGBTQ plus community. They were early adopters, still remain some of the most common users of a lot of these platforms. And we know that same-sex couples are more likely than heterosexual couples to have formed a long-term relationship online. And to give you some statistics, this is coming from the Pew Research Center, about a third of all adults in the U.S. have used online dating, but that number jumps to about half of all LGBTQ plus adults. And when you look at some of the big apps today, apps like Tinder and Bumble, they were really modeled after Grindr and other similar platforms that were really designed by and for LGBTQ plus users. Do you think there is an underlying reason that led people to rely so heavily on dating apps to meet people? Was there like a, a cultural shift that happened? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think part of it is that it's it's just become so common that when you're single and you're actively searching for a partner, in a lot of ways, I think it would be difficult not to use it because so many people have started to turn to online dating Now, where the shift happened, because, you know, in the early days, it was kind of stigmatized and it took a while for it to really gain traction. And I think the shift happened with dating apps like around 2010, because what they did was they made it a lot easier to sign up, to get out there, you know, matching, interacting with people. And they also gamified the experience to make it fun, to make it entertaining. 
And in doing that, they brought online dating to a younger audience. So these days, the most common demographic, if we're looking at age for using dating apps, would be people under the age of 30. And so I think in bringing it to young adults, um, that also really helped it to expand. And it's been kind of interesting to see, like, you know, talking to young people about their experiences on these platforms, they've grown up using social media to conduct their relationships. And when you look at Gen Z, I mean, online dating was around before they were even born. So they have grown up in a world where this has always existed. It's always been an option. And I've done interviews with young adults who have told me that all of their serious relationships have started through an app, either social media or online dating. And they've never actually had the experience of just walking up to somebody in person, asking for their number, asking them out on a date because they don't have to, right? They can just go out there and swipe and hope they run into the person that way. And so while I wouldn't say we're at the point yet where that's the norm, it is striking to me because it makes me wonder if that's the direction that we're headed. And I compare that to someone like myself, you know, I'm a millennial. I have a history and experience to compare to. I know what it's like to meet people face to face. When I look at older generations, they also have that point of comparison. But for some of the young adults that I talk to people, you know, in their early twenties, they don't always have that point of comparison and online dating to them, I mean, it's dating. It's how courtship happens these days. Wow. Let me process that. Let me take yeah. a <laughs> No problem. Yeah, that's... Let me take a drink. <laughs> that's a really good point. Like, I I mean, I'm a millennial. Like, I'm a very, very young millennial and a very, very old uh, Gen Z. Mm-hmm. So I know both. And it's true that for a younger generation, I had never put myself in their shoes. Like, it's all they know how to socialize and how to date. Yeah. And it's interesting too, because I think, you know, a question I get asked a lot is why, like, why would they use apps? Because young people typically have plenty of options when you're young, you're meeting new people all the time. It's not like you have to use an app. So there has to be a draw there. And I think something that dating apps have done really well is that they've taken a lot of the rejection out of the experience, at least initially where they use what we call double opt-in system um, so that you have to both swipe right on each other in order to start messaging. So you know before you ever initiate contact with somebody that that person is interested in you to some degree. So you're not having to put yourself out there the same way that you would if you just approach somebody in person and you don't know if they're single, you don't know if they're interested And so I think for some people, that's a big part of the appeal of using dating apps. In addition to the fact that they've expanded the dating pool, you know, they've given you more options. They're exposing you to more people in your area and they've made it fun. You know, a lot of people find it fun to swipe and match and it gives you an esteem boost. And so in doing all of that, I think that's been part of the appeal to particularly the Gen Z audience. So what I hear there is the avoidance of discomfort and vulnerability when it comes to rejection, right? I mean, yeah, I think people are are very, very afraid of being rejected and especially of being rejected by somebody who they like, who they're interested in. And 
I think when technology promises to take away some of the discomfort, that speaks to people and that's a compelling enough reason to give it a try. Hmm. Do you think we need the, this discomfort to actually create a trusting relationship? Yeah, and that's you know a great question because you can only take out the discomfort for so long, right? Yeah. And eventually you're going to have to meet. Eventually you're going to have to have a face-to-face -face conversation and you might be rejected, you know, not all of your relationships are going to go anywhere. And so I think it takes out some of the initial discomfort, but at the end of the day, that's a relationship, right? There's going to be ups and downs, you know, they're going to be complex and messy and technology can only help with that for so long before we're kind of just back into the face-to-face -face reality of having to get to know people and, you know, see if they're the right fit for us. Yeah, you make me think about catfishing, actually, that only happens online. What's up with that? Like, why do people lie on their profile? Because eventually, as you said, like, there is going to be a face-to-face. -face. Yeah. So research would say that deception is really common in online dating, but usually people don't lie about the big stuff. So the catfishing stories, it's what comes to mind immediately because when we hear about it, it's so terrifying, right? No one wants to be on the receiving end of something like that. And those are the stories that really stand out. But I think for a lot of people, um, when they lie in online dating, I think sometimes they don't know they're doing it. So people misrepresent themselves, but it's because maybe that's how they, they actually see themselves, right? Maybe you see yourself as more extroverted than other people do. And that kind of comes through in how you're presenting yourself. Or sometimes they do it for more strategic reasons. Like they, you know, want to fit into another person's search parameters, or they think they'll get better matches if they maybe lie a little bit about demographic information or something like that. And then also I think the reason people do it is because they're trying to appear more attractive to the types of people they want to attract. And so, you know, the reason that people engage in deception, it, it can be complicated. Um, and sometimes it can be pretty innocent. Other times it can be much more, you know, blatant and, problematic, like when people are completely misrepresenting their identity. You talked about deceptions and there is something that has been going on online and in memes since 2020 and that talk about dating burnouts. Like people have been on so many dates because it's so accessible with dating apps that they just go on a date and they can't do it anymore. Is that a thing that has been shown in research? Yeah, so dating app burnout is something that I'm studying currently. And I think we're at the point where we have people that have been on dating apps for a decade now. You know, there are people who have been on them from the beginning. They've been swiping, they've been going on dates, and maybe they're not necessarily accomplishing their goals where they keep ending up back on the app. And so over time, that can contribute to burnout and frustration that you know, they're spending a lot of time, a lot of effort on these apps, maybe even money, and they're not actually meeting people. And so I think that we've kind of reached this burnout phase of online dating, where for some people, they've been successful, um, they found relationships, and for other people, they feel like to the they're to the point where um, they're starting to explore other options and finding that it's just not working for them. 
So what are those other options, though, if we don't have online dating? So something I've been hearing a lot about lately is people going back to -to face-to-face meeting, which is kind of funny because I think that some people are nostalgic for the past and, you know, they they really want to just meet people, quote, the old-fashioned way. And so I think that people are paying more attention to who is in their environment, you know, paying attention to who they're meeting when they're out there with their friends and their communities. And I think that that to some people has become the alternative to dating apps. It's meeting people face to face. And, you know, I think that's a great thing. I mean, even if you're on a dating app, I don't think that there's any benefit in closing yourself off to other ways of meeting people. I think it's one option, but there are many other ways, you know, to be introduced to somebody asking friends to set you up, you know, joining clubs, you know, going to activities in, in your local area. All of those things are ways to expand your network that don't necessarily involve technology. Yeah, that sounds great, actually. So where do you see the future of online dating? Well, I think we're at a really pivotal moment in online dating. And in the immediate future, I think that AI is really going to change the game in this industry as well as in, you know, so many others. And so right now, I mean, people are using things like chat GPT to help them create their profiles, to help them write messages to people. And I think that the platforms are really going to have to figure out the extent to which they want people using AI to communicate on their behalf. And then I also think there's a lot of room for AI to really help to improve the matchmaking process. And as an example of that, there's some startups that are already looking at ways to have AI interact on your behalf in order to cut down on the amount of time that you're spending just swiping on profiles and to actually get you out there talking to people in person. And so that's something I'm actually pretty excited about is looking at ways that AI can just make matchmaking better. And then in the more distant future, I also think that augmented and virtual reality has the potential to play a role in helping you meet people and that it could actually end up feeling a little bit more organic. So as an example of that, you know, you walk up to somebody at a virtual bar, a virtual party, and you have a conversation instead of just texting them back and forth. And so, I mean, I guess the story here is that the more technology we throw at this problem and the more things advance, the more I think we're going to get back to how we've always met people in person, which is through proximity. It's through our environment And it's through having conversations rather than swiping, you know, reading profiles. It's actually interacting with people. You sound very excited about the potential of AI in relationships. It worries me because apps set our expectations way too high and also made the process of meeting someone very unnatural. Mm -hmm. I, I really, when I think about AI in dating, I'm just like, are AI bots going to talk to each other? on my behalf, on somebody else's behalf. And if these bots say, oh yeah, they would be a good match, then we're going to talk to each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it could be great for online dating and it could also be disastrous because, I mean, if you consider that one of the big problems in online dating is deception, it's misrepresentation, and now you add AI to that equation and you give people the opportunity to have AI communicate for them or help them write messages, help them create profiles. 
you don't really know who you're interacting with the person or, you know, the augmented version of that individual, the version where they've had some assistance from AI. And so when you go to meet them for the first time, you might find that they're nothing like the way they presented themselves online when they actually have to have a conversation in real time and they don't have some sort of assistant there with them. And so I think if the platforms aren't careful, that could end up being a really big problem where people become even more worried. They have a difficulty trusting the people they're interacting with because they don't really know to what extent it's them and to what extent it's it's AI. And so I think that that's going to be something that will be really important to sort out. I mean, I think if AI can help find you someone who you might be interested in having a conversation with in person, I think that that's great. I think when you talk about having AI also like, you know, be what you're interacting with, having conversations for people, that's where it does get a little bit trickier. Um, and so it, it'll be interesting to see what direction all of this goes. So with AI, I feel like it's about not wasting time on swiping and finding the best match. It's a possibility, but do we really want to seek efficiency in relationships and love? Do you think is good for us? Such a great question. I mean, I think we want to be more efficient in all aspects of our lives, but in love, I think the idea that love should be on demand can be a little bit problematic because building relationships, I mean, that really takes time. It takes work, effort, and love isn't something out there to be found. I think it's something that we create. And in some ways, I think that just the dating app culture has kind of created this mindset that you just have to keep searching until you find the perfect person instead of creating the perfect relationship with someone. Yeah, I mean, when you say it like that, <laughs> you know, the perfect relationship, I know there are a lot of couples online, even on Instagram, who make a living just advertising and promoting their own relationship and showing how perfect it is. Do you think this internet culture has had an impact in the way we seek relationships? Oh, yeah, I think it's made our expectations so high because everything we see is carefully filtered. It's, you know, a very intentional way of presenting the relationship. And so people have this expectation that things should be perfect always, their partner, their interactions. And so I think then when you hit a rough patch, it's really easy to think that there's something wrong with the relationship or that this person isn't right for you. When the reality is that, you know, all relationships have their ups and downs, people aren't perfect. Um, and so I think that it it does contribute to this expectation that that everything should be good always when we know that in reality that I mean, it's it's simply not realistic. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on.